This is the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, where you'll get ideas about improving your bottom line in business and in life from experts around the world. Jason Caldwell has done something, it's safe to say, that very few other human beings have ever done in the history of humankind. He has rowed a small boat some 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean, and not once, but twice. He admits to making mistakes in that first row, but he corrected course for the second event, and after rowing for 35 days, 14 hours, and 3 minutes, he and his crew won the perilous 2016 Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, or as it's known to those who have attempted it, the world's toughest row. They not only succeeded, but set a world's record while they were at it. But for Mr. Caldwell, the rowing had a larger purpose, and he has taken what he's learned from both rows and folded that knowledge into his Bay Area business called Latitude 35. He explains how it all fits together in this CVBT audio interview podcast. I do crazy adventures, basically, seemingly impossible things. And um, uh, the one that I believe that you're referring to is rowing 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. And I've actually, I've actually done it twice. Once in 2015 that brought me into 2016, and then the second time in 2016 that brought me into the 2017 year. So. You, you didn't have enough frequent flyer miles or what? Yeah, you got to get there any way you can. So, um, no, it's it's a race. Um, it's get, it's well organized, getting bigger every year, and teams from around the world representing um, their country, their charities, enter in this race. And uh, it starts in in La Gomera, which is a small island and the Canary Island chains, and goes those three thousand miles southwest and ends in Antigua in the Caribbean. So, not a bad place to finish, that's for sure. And what a way to get there. But en route, you learned a lot that you have now applied uh, to business. Would you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that that transition, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. And just taking a step back, uh, my company is called Latitude 35. I founded it a handful of years ago. It's a leadership um, and team building development company. So we work with large uh, corporate clients and business schools around the world teaching uh, what it means to be a leader of high-performance teams and then more importantly, how to sustain high performance, which is tough. And high performance has now unfortunately become a cliche term, but it's it's important stuff, and um, that's what we go around teaching. But um, a, a, a while back, I didn't want to be a company that just said, hey, studies show this or surveys show that about building great teams. I wanted to be a kind of company that went out and did these incredible things, did built great teams, um, were led by great people, um, and then were able to you know share our stories with our clients, the things that we did right, the many mistakes that we did um, as well, and the things that we learned from these adventures. So that's what we do. Once a year, in addition to um, our leadership company, once a year, um, I captain, recruit, and train a team for one big epic world record attempt. And so that's what we're talking about here. And 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 I've done, I've rode the Atlantic twice, like I said. I've crossed the oldest desert in the world and, and so on and so forth. And all these things are about learning what works and what doesn't. And um, the two journeys across the Atlantic Ocean, um, the first one was uh, in many ways um, devastating in the sense that it's a four-person team and 600 miles 
into this 3,000 mile race, two of our teammates had to be evacuated due to illness and injury by a sailboat that had to sail in. Uh, Myself and my remaining teammate decided to continue on and actually finish the race, which we did. Um, taking 11th place um, that year, um, but not being satisfied with how um, I led that team and, and, and the many mistakes I made and, and many assumptions I made along the way of training that team, I decided to re-enter the very next year, which at that time had almost never been done before. To, to do it twice was just, well, it's probably the definition of madness. Um, but I felt that I had a lot as a, as a person who teaches leadership development and building high performance teams, I felt that largely I had failed my team. And so I had some unfinished business. So I went back and in 2016 started training a team and, and building that team. And we trained for eight months against teams that we were going to have that were training for the last two years. And we put this team together and I put it together in a very different way, a way that felt that we were building community and that we could leverage each other's human emotion in a way that I was not able to do in that first race with those teammates. And the results um, were um, fantastic. Not only did we win the race that year, but we broke the 13-year-old world record as the fastest four-man team to ever row across the Atlantic Ocean. You, you said you learned from your mistakes. What was the biggest lesson that you did learn? Well, it'd be hard to it'd be hard to nail down the biggest lesson, but I will tell you that one of the biggest lessons that I learned was that when building teams, we often assume incorrectly um, that everybody wants what we want and that everybody is willing to do whatever it takes to get those things that we want, everybody in the team. And that's just, quite frankly just not the case. I built this team because I wanted to break a world record. Um, and, and do something special rowing these 3,000 miles. But I assumed incorrectly that everybody on this team did. And 600 miles into this race, um, I found out with devastating consequences um, that that wasn't the case. And that while maybe people were saying that that's what they wanted on this team, when it came down to it, you're stripped of everything as you inevitably are when you're in the middle of the ocean. Um, that's not the case. And so building that second team we really focused on answering that question, why? Why is it that you want to be on this team? And of course, it's not good enough to answer that question, both for yourself and for the rest of the team once. But you've got to continually be able to re-answer that question, why, for the people on your team. And maybe it's personal glory for you, but for somebody else, it might be um, it might be something else. And you have to know what those things are, identify it in your teammates, and then continually remind them as to that reason. And that is the definition of leveraging human emotion. And that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned between race one and race two. Do do you find that uh, sometimes people are giving you the answers that they think you want to hear? And if so, how do you ascertain when they're doing that and what do you do about it? Yeah, it's a great question. And absolutely, this happens all the time. By the way, this is this is where we're completely transferable between the adventure world and the corporate world. People will tell you what they think you want to hear if they don't trust you. And that's 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 basic human human laws of interaction. Um, I don't trust uh, my boss and and he or she asks me um, what I value the most. And maybe it's money, but I think that's going to sound selfish. So I say purpose. Well, he thinks that purpose is what I want. And so therefore, they are going to throw as much purpose at me. They're going to give me more responsibility. Um, there, and, and that's not what I want. I was afraid to say money because I didn't trust my boss and because I thought that saying money would probably be 
sound, uh, you know, sound self-serving, but maybe the reality is, is that I just found out that my wife is going to have twins and looking down the barrel of college tuition is, is, um, is, is scary. And so, um, but if I were to trust my leader, my boss, and he or she were to ask me, and I felt comfortable saying, I'm going to be honest with you. I need more money at this point. I'm, my wife's going to have twins and we're, we're, we're going to, we want to provide for our family. Now, all of a sudden, that boss, that leader can provide a roadmap by which they could potentially get that for me. And now all of a sudden I'm motivated to work harder, not just for him or her, but for the organization as a whole. And that is really kind of the difference is, and you know, my, my, in my line of work, and I've been in this work for over 15 years now, I've struggled with different definitions of what it means to be a great leader. And I used to have all these great algorithms, but now it comes down to one word and that's trust. And that's something that's uh, once destroyed is almost impossible to rebuild. Well, yeah, it's you. You don't want to destroy it. It can be rebuilt, but it is so much more effort, time, money, talent to rebuild it than it is to never lose it in the first place. And that's just the same as trying to gain a client, right? As opposed to keeping a client, it's ten times more expensive to to gain a new client as it is to keep a, an existing one. And that's the same with trust. Jason, you say, I guess, that sometimes the best people are not necessarily the right people for a team. Now, I realize in these days of really tight labor markets, if somebody shows up with a pulse, you're about to give them a job. But in ideal things, why why wouldn't you pick and wait for the best person? Well, it's that's two-pronged. First of all, very rarely these days are we do we have the, um, the luxury of handpicking the perfect team? I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. There is so much competition within companies. Talent is being pulled in every direction. So, you know, I, I wish, I wish it was just, I was able to just pick the, the, the perfect team, but that's just not the case. Um, and however, as a company organization, or in my case, a team becomes more successful and gains notoriety as we have, I do have more luxury and more leverage to pick some of the best talent with regards to, um, to athleticism and these adventure and these adventures. Um, but these days it's easy on paper to see somebody who's big and strong. And on that first race, that's what I was obsessed with doing, picking the biggest, strongest athletes to get out there but in the end after 100 miles it doesn't matter anymore because what matters is the dynamic between the teammates in the boat so on my second race again another lesson that i learned the difference between the best guys and the right guys is i started picking qualities that i found um to be uh, the most valuable when you're halfway through a race that strips you of everything. And the number one quality that I found, because I go again, rowing this a second time <laughs> makes me virtually an expert in ocean rowing, um, was selflessness. And so when I started going through the resumes and the applicants of the people that wanted to enter the second race with me, I was looking for people that put other people before their own, their own interests. And that selflessness, um, um, is, you know, easy for people to talk about, but once you start taking them out on the water and training with them, it's very difficult to hide who you are. And so you can start to find the authentic person. And that's what we did when we started looking for this, this selfless attribute. It's, we did it not by just sitting in, in a room and talking about it. We took them out on the water. We saw how they acted. 
when the waves got big and you get wet and you get cold and you're on your third day out there and you're tired, you're sleep deprived, you're hungry, you're malnourished, you're, you know, you're dehydrated. And that's how we picked the team. Well, it sounds like a, a really fun uh, row. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm noticing a hint of sarcasm there. Uh, well, but very truthful when you're out on the nasty Atlantic Ocean. It's not exactly your backyard pond. No, it's not. And I always say this, too, and I, and I believe this wholeheartedly. This is going to make people roll their eyes a little bit. But, look, nobody likes work, okay? Nobody likes to work, nobody likes rowing, okay? I don't like rowing across an ocean. That's gonna sound weird, but here's what I do like. I like what's in the rowing. We like what's in work. We like the things that we learn about ourselves when we are working. We like to find out who we are as people, and we like what it teaches us, the experience it gives us. So remember that, that when you're rowing across an ocean, I don't just do this because I'm excited to you know, spend time away from my lovely wife and child for 35 plus days. No, that's not why I do it. I love what it gives me when I come back. I love the experience that I can give to my clients, my family, um, my my son, and I, I. Those are things that you know, being a wallflower just aren't going to give you. So when um, we do these adventures, we we don't do them to pat ourselves on the back. We don't do them because um, we're trying to escape the world that we live in. We do them because we like what's in them, and I think that. To me, that's a great lesson and something that we teach a lot of our clients is that, you know, it's what are you getting out of this work? What kind of what kind of purpose are you finding in it? What, what kind of lessons are you learning from from this? And, and how can everything that you say to the people that you lead, how can they see themselves in that work? What has been reaction to your book, Jason? Uh, and also, have you found uh, people are buying uh, rowboats right and left? <laughs> no. Yeah, probably the opposite after they after they read that book is that they're uh, they're they're definitely going to go sailing and not rowing. Um, no, but you know the book Navigating the Impossible um, is set. I think it's a unique book, and we've 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 been met with um, a lot of uh, favorable reviews. And I think it's because half every chapter, half that chapter is kind of an an anecdote of the story um, of my two rows kind of takes you chronologically through um, my journey of self-actualization. So that's the first half of the chapter. But the second half of the chapter really kind of unpacks those lessons that I learned and kind of digs deep into the experience I had and the lessons that I learned. And I think that people are looking for authentic leaders these days. And um, I am certainly not somebody um, who is mistake-free. I make mistakes every day. And on every one of these rows and adventures, I'm constantly making mistakes as a leader. But I am learning from them. I'm not afraid to share those stories and those mistakes. And I think that that's why the book is being looked at so favorably. Is it's, I think it's kind of a, a refreshing um, kind of detour from the uh, you know more of the standard uh, teachers that, that, that have been teaching this stuff. Jason, you've been very generous with your thoughts, and I know we, we've just skimmed the surface here, no pun intended, but what would you like to add that we haven't had a chance to uh, talk about? Um, I would just like to say that um, our company, Latitude 35, and everything that we produce, whether it be books um, or lessons, um, is, is meant to uh, kind of transcend the lessons themselves. So what I would say is that if you are interested and, um, in talking to us, Maybe it's just a conversation. You can visit our website, 
at um, www.latitude35leadership.com. And my our contact page, send us an email, give us a ring. We're a small company that has a wide reach and you will get you will get myself or, or one of my teammates and we will call you back. And if you just want to have a conversation, that's on us. We'd love to have conversations with people about some of the challenges that they're having, whether it's professionally, personally, or maybe they want to just row across an ocean. So we're here for you. You've been listening to the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, one-on-one interviews with experts in business and personal growth. Keep up to date with all of our podcasts and news that impacts business by subscribing to our daily email newsletter. To sign up for a free introductory subscription, please send us your preferred email address. Our email is editor at biznews.com. That's spelled B-I-Z-G-N-U-S dot com. Thanks for listening.